Hey folks, Neil here. I am laboring under a lack of internet until the 23rd, so there are many things in this episode that we say will happen that actually won't happen. It's um, frustrating, but please bear with us. So we have an interview, a wonderful interview with Trevor Finn, uh, which you are about to hear, and we talk about how we are going to talk about Superman 3, and how we are going to talk about the next episode and this episode was supposed to be about superman and lois 112 um through the valley of death and what happened was i had to record as you'll hear in a car in front of a starbucks swiping some wi-fi nearly getting heat stroke um because i've been uh, moving into a new house and struggling with getting internet so anyway the long and the short of that the fun part of that is that this episode you will get our interview, and next episode Julian and I will speak about 112 and 113, which has yet to happen, and uh, I'll give you a little bit of a teaser to whet your appetite by letting you know that I actually enjoyed 112, which will probably surprise many of you, but I have lots of praise for it, which we will get to next week. Thank you for your patience with the technical difficulties, and here's Ampersand and Sons. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, from the Starbucks parking lot in Thunder Bay, Ontario, it is Ampersand and Sons with uh, Neil Bailey and Trevor and Julian Finn. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, Neil. Hello. Yes, we're having a very special episode where we don't talk about an episode of Superman and Lois that just happened, but one that happened a little while ago. We're two weeks past our last one because I had no internet. I'm recording in my car, and this is entirely not rinky-dink at all. Right, Julian? I mean, it looks fantastic. I feel <laughs> like I'm watching the, uh, the the opening scenes of the Blair Witch Project on your screen, Neil. But, That's uh, right. Yeah. I tell everyone I'm sorry. Um, perhaps you <laughs> should introduce Trevor. Yeah, so uh, actually, I'm going to let Trevor introduce himself, but Trevor is my cousin, and uh, we've been lamenting Neil and I for the last few weeks and and theorizing about what could possibly be going on in the writing room of Superman and Lois to produce such a weird mix of quality and dreck. Um, and it just so happens that Trevor has some uh, some tangential experience to that and agreed to come on and uh, help us sort this all out. So, Trevor, you want to tell us a bit about yourself? Sure, yeah. Um, I work in TV as a writer and script coordinator. And um, I've worked on a, a lot of shows, uh, uh, Dark Matter, The Expanse, uh, C, uh, Jupiter's Legacy, um, and the one that I'm on, I'm on a big one right now that I uh, don't think I'm allowed to talk about. So, uh, but it's, uh, um, but it's one that is for a very well-known property that I, I'm 100% sure that you would recognize. But uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and for those who don't know, what is a script coordinator? Uh, so basically, as part of the writing room and we uh, part of the writing team and basically we're kind of like the copy editors of of the show um all the scripts go through us and so we uh, review them for uh you know spelling errors grammatical errors but also formatting and then uh we're also looking for uh logic right like you're 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 reading the scripts through and 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 making sure that everything makes sense and that every change tracks with 
everything that came before and after so that there's consistency. Um, so the script coordinator is usually the person that um, is kind of also the lore keeper of of a show. So we'll often be the person that uh, creates the show Bible if they create one. And even if we don't create one, we'll still be kind of keeping it all in our head of, of like, you know, what uh, what is happening. And, and um, you know, that way you don't get to set and realize that, uh, you know, the changes that have already are currently being filmed um, uh, don't apply uh, anymore. So, um, so, yeah, that's kind of a, a, a vague explanation of, of what it is we do. So, so basically, if, if we wanted a throat to choke on, on Superman and Lois for, for continuity errors that we happen to notice or stray commas on the screen, you would be the guy that we would grab. Well, if you see stray commas on the screen, that would be <laughs> that would be weird. But um, uh, I mean, the yeah, the script coordinator is keeping an eye on that. Of course, you know, once it goes into production, there's a lot of other people, um, a lot of people that are on set that that also are supposed to be keeping an eye on that. Uh, for example, the um, uh, script supervisor, um, who's who's literally you know, doing continuity and making sure that um, that also tracks. So, and then of course there's producers as well that should also keep an eye on that. But, but yeah, like, like at the script phase at least, and um, you know, we're one of the, one of the stop gaps in terms of continuity. We can't be blamed for stuff like Game of Thrones where you have a water bottle uh, <laughs> <laughs> under the seat though. But, oh, the, the Starbucks cup on the table. <laughs> Yeah. So, Trevor, you watched um, Superman and Lois season one, episode eleven, and we mm-hmm. we wanted you to watch that one because Neil and I had um, varying responses to it. I liked it more than Neil did. Neil wrote like ten thousand words about why <laughs> everybody involved should be strangled, and we're curious yeah. what you thought about it. I think I think that's a little bit hyperbolic there, but okay. <laughs> well, first of all, um, um, yeah, I listened to your I listened to your podcast, but I but it might be helpful for you guys just to kind of re- uh, remind me of your stances, um, and then I can kind of respond that way if that if that's all right. Sure. So I took the position that so first of all, I think both Neil and I agree that the first half hour of the episode. <clears throat> where they're and by the way guys this is spoiler territory automatically we've already spoiled the crap out of this in the last episode so <laughs> if you have not watched the episode before listening to this i don't know why you're here um <laughs> but we both we both came down on the fact that the first half hour or so of the show before the turn really happens where you find out um that edge is basically using a memory device to comb through superman's memories to expose weaknesses was just quality like it was uh as good as you could possibly hope for for a superman origin sequence um Mm. and didn't fall into that trap that um 
TV episodes that go heavy on flashback sometimes do, where you get the feeling that you are watching a very special episode of X show. Like it just, it, it was just solid and entertaining and well done and everybody acted the crap out of it and it was well written. Um, and I thought that the last 10 minutes where we caught up to the present day and realized what Edge was doing with this and the uh, the moral choice that he puts in front of Superman and um, the choices that he himself is making made sense in the context of the show and where it's at. So I didn't hate it. It's not how I would have written it, but like it, no, nothing felt egregiously out of place for me. It just wasn't good. Whereas Neil, you wanna you wanna share yeah. what your th- yeah. So so my take on it was um and and I'm very contextual in my reviews. When I when I write it, I, I refer to everything that's happened in past episodes, and I look at it kind of as a whole proceeding forward. And um I I gave it a one of five, and the reason being that even though the first thirty five minutes were magnificent, it kind of undermines all of the accomplishment of that for me when the last fifteen minutes is just kind of yeah snarling villain stuff, but it's also contextual. Um, the last 15 minutes are just not incredibly well written for me, but also it's that all of the things that they're trying to establish in those 15 minutes require more time and more pace to accomplish, and they also kind of contradict and undermine things that have been established earlier by my take on it. I don't know that, that Julian agrees, but like, for instance, they've established that Morgan Edge in the past is a cold and calculating businessman. And then they kind of turn that entirely on its head and go, he just wants to become the, the the Kryptonian dominator of the Earth. And he also has this weird desire to please his father. And he also wants a brother in Superman, but is doing things that are kind of not coherent to make him want to be a brother for him and still expecting that it's working. And it's all very serial, soap opera, melodrama kind of stuff. And my my uh, my objection is not that it's serial soap opera kind of stuff because that has its place and that has its audience and that's cool. It's that the show has presented itself as kind of a serious drama um, in the vein of say other uh, other superhero shows that that kind of don't devolve into the yeah I'm a villain see um, and then it kind of turns and goes to CW drama and I found that very dissonant um, and I'm I'm perfectly fine mm. with one or the other but. Um, Presenting one and then gear shifting to the other is like taking a drift turn with the e-brake for my story sense, I suppose. It's very true to Superman, though, isn't it? Like, like you know, like the, all the Zod stuff and the, I mean, when you were reviewing it, I think you said that, that you didn't feel that it was earned that he was if i'm sorry so correct me if i'm if i'm uh, misquoting but the whole part where edge went to his own fortress of solitude and then was like you know he had the bad dad and then he was basically browbeaten for uh, a long time and then that established that he was a bad guy you said that you didn't feel that that was that that part was earned yeah, it was very, very brief, given the scope of Edge that we've seen so far in the show. We've seen like 10 episodes where he's kind of shown as cool and cold and methodical and not prone to random decision making. And mm. then it kind of shifts to he has got Stockholm Syndrome with this weird dad and he will do anything to please him for 
reasons, you know, and that just didn't play with mm. me. And I suppose that they could make efforts to clarify that later, um, but we're supposed to accept it as a premise without necessarily having it established sufficiently for me. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, first of all, I should say that um, uh, I should clarify to anyone listening that this is the only episode of Superman and Lois I've watched, so I don't have <laughs> the benefit of uh, of of seeing um, these characters outside of this. But I mean, I, I felt it. I felt like it was um, that it was earned enough for me um, because. I don't know. They they establish they establish his his bad dad, right? Like as opposed to to Clark's to, to Clark's good dad, and uh, you know, so we know we know that he's um, he's brought up to have a very different viewpoint than than Clark. So I so I, that part I didn't I didn't mind. Um, I would say like overall of the the for the episode I. I kind of disagreed with 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 how you guys thought that the I did feel like the first half was was very strong, but I also coming in having not seen the show I was I was actually watching I think I texted Julian to say like this this is this is the right episode right because like there's a lot <laughs> of stuff that seems like it's like very like piloty and he's like no 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 that's the um, they're like establishing certain things you know to that will pay off later. Um, and uh, so it was actually a really good episode to watch having not watched anything because they had so much elements of, of uh, the pilot. But I felt like the second half was, I mean, it worked for me. Like it, it uh, um, you know, it, I felt like the second half went, I felt like it went quicker. Like I would have liked to have had a bit more time with it, but they, but, but they, I understood why they made those choices. They had to set up certain, certain things and then, and then pay them off. So, um, yeah, I mean, as a, as an episode of TV, I didn't mind it. I thought it was, I thought it was good. <laughs> I thought like, I don't, um, yeah, I don't know. Like, uh, we can talk about more specific things, but I, I definitely didn't feel as strongly as, as you guys, uh, about it. Maybe that's, because I haven't seen other episodes. So, Neil, do you do you mind if I contextualize this a little bit? Neil, are you okay with that? Yeah, yeah, no good. Okay, so the first the first five episodes, I think four of them were damn near perfect TV. Um, they very much felt like uh, if Friday Night Lights was a Superman show. Right. So the whole the whole pitch of the show and the whole premise that we were served in the first like, I don't want to say the first half of the season, but the first third of, the, of what we've got so far was mm -hmm. this is a show about a part of Superman's life that we've never explored before. It's it's post fighting the good fight. It's him raising the kids out on the farm and dealing with family drama. And what does that look like? What does that stage of Superman's life look like? And it was great. Like when I say it was Friday Night Lights, where one of the characters just happened to be Superman, like that's not an exaggeration. The quality was that good initially. And there, there seems to have been, well, there was a shift 
right around the halfway mark, right before they went on hiatus, for it to be a superhero show, for it to be in the pantheon established by the rest of the Arrowverse shows. And it started to go all plot, no breaks, and kind of forget the small, quiet story it was telling in favor of the bombastic Superman adventure stuff. And that's fine, but the second they did that, they started doing things for the sake of doing them. So, like, you just referenced, you know, you could see that they were trying to set things up and then pay them off, and that makes sense. The problem is, is that they're doing these setup moments. I think Neil will agree with me. They're doing these setup moments for payoffs, but the setup moments themselves don't make sense with what's been revealed prior in the show. And the payoffs don't make any sense because they're not logically consistent with what we've been told about either characters or um, the abilities of Superman or the dynamic between people in this town. Like they, it seems like they're constantly doing this dance between what they were originally doing and what it feels like they've been told to do. And whenever they jump into the pond of what they've been told to do, which is produce a superhero show, it's the consideration to character consistency and plot consistency and logic get chucked out the window in favor of making things happen that need to happen. And we're trying to figure out why that might be. Well, you do have to have, I mean, I don't, you know, I'm not on the show. I don't know anyone on the show and um, I can't speak to that specific show, but um, there's a lot of potential factors that could be, um, you know, one is that you have a superhero show and even if you, you know, like people are expecting a certain certain thing from a Superman show. So even if you have you have those those small personal moments, you also need to have the big uh, epic moments because without it, that's that's not Superman, right? So so I think that there you're always trying to have a balance of like how do you have how do you have that interpersonal drama and then also have you do have to kind of end up with global stakes because if you, if they're not, then, you know, it's not, it's just not what people are going to expect, but, but it's, it's, um, yeah, it's tough. It's, it's a balance. And, and, and if you're saying that you don't think that the character is, is, so you don't think the character of, of edge is consistent that, that he was like a shrewd businessman and then he's kind of like arch, right? Like, uh, um, yeah, take over he the went, world. Yeah, he went very snidely. He went very snidely whiplash very quickly. A little bit of Superman too, because Superman has also uh, in the show they've gone to great pains to describe what a logically good parent he is in terms of like mm-hmm. how he won't make rash decisions even when his kids are acting mm-hmm. out. He won't. Um, mm-hmm. He's very careful with the way he handles his villains. And then mm-hmm. they kind of mm-hmm. turn on the dime and and essentially do that number where they're because the the dilemma presented in the episode is not the kind of logical dilemma that someone as smart as Superman has been established would engage in. I know that they have to do it or think they have to do it for the plot or whatever. But the idea that Superman would be too du- like he gets plot dumb. The idea that he would be dumb enough to go, oh, to save my family, I have to slaughter the whole world or team up with this guy who has designs to destroy the whole world, that makes logical sense, is also a little bit weird. You know, like the characters, 
for what the plot needs kind of shift to be convenient to the plot. And I know that that's a part of storytelling that just kind of happens, but also the show hasn't really engaged as much in that in the first four or five episodes. And then for the last you know, five or six, they've really actively just jumped into that. This is a melodrama and we have to make the wheel turn. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I mean, I didn't have a problem with that. I, 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 you know, cause I saw, you know, his characters is between a rock and a hard place. So he, he doesn't have, he can't through his brute strength or, you know, laser beam eyes, uh, affect, um, edge. So he, you know, he has no choice in that situation other than to go along what he, with what he's doing. I would, I, but while I'm watching that, I'm not assuming that he's actually going to end up totally going along with it. Like I would assume that he finds a way to rebel and turn the tables. So, but you have to, you, you're ending the episode on a, um, you know, on a cliffhanger. And so, and that's good TV, right? That gets people, that gets people hooked for the next episode. So they, they did the right thing there. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I personally didn't have a a problem with, with that, with, at least with the, um, with his dilemma. So Um, Trevor, this might help because I'm going to, I'm going to share with you what the plot wheel that they're trying to move is so maybe you mm-hmm. kind of because my frustration wasn't as high as neil's but i shared it neil was extremely frustrated because you know neil is no fun whatsoever and is just hypercritical of everything <laughs> except for when he <laughs> actively loves the first few things and even like i was expecting so so we talked a little tiny bit about uh jupiter's legacy on a couple of the episodes of the podcast mm-hmm. and i was expecting neil to to come back with some of the same uh, things that I raised with you when when I phoned you initially to say, hey, we're going to probably talk about this and I don't like it. Um, and I was expecting Neil to come back harsher and he was actually the positive one yeah. in our dynamic on that. And he was like, no, no Ju- dude, you're wrong. Jupiter's like, legacy you're saying was- that... You're saying my cousin was the one that was slagging. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I was sitting there. Well, I was, see, I mean, I was, I was in this awkward place because I was sitting there like, man, I hope I don't, uh, you know, I I hope I like this because I don't, you know, like this person's going to be kindly enough to come on the podcast. I don't want to be critical. But honestly, like Jupiter's legacy was consistently what it was and I enjoyed it. You know, like it didn't, it didn't, um, it didn't dovetail into some other tone. It was, it was very consistently what it was. And, and, and I enjoyed what it was. It was fun. I, you know, like there was, and, and as, as you know, like you can see from our conversation, I'm intensely critical, um, to the point of like little details on things. And I looked at that show with a very critical eye, and I didn't find much to complain about. I mean, at all. There, there, there's, um, and and I coulda, you know, like like I coulda if it was there. But honestly, it just is what it is, you know. And 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 that's that sounds bad. I enjoyed it, you know, like it was great. <laughs> it is bad. what it is. There, well, no, there is something good about something being what it is, you know. Like if Superman and Lois were just all that melodrama or all the dramatic family story that it purported to be, I, I wouldn't be, you know, raising issues. It's it's trying to have its cake and eat its too, eat it too, you know. Yeah. 
Anyway, the, re- the reason I bring that up is, is just to kind of highlight the fact that Neil is usually the person that is the more fiercely critical back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Trevor, just to give you some some history, Neil used to write the uh, reviews of Smallville for the Superman homepage. And oh. finally, in season seven, I think, threw his hands up in disgust and, uh, and quit. Um, over a scene where they basically turned Clark into an analog for the 9-11 bombers um, because it would look cool. And uh, Neil went, well, that's not Superman, I'm done. Um, <laughs> and so I took over, and that's kind of how, where and how we became friends. Um, but I was always the softer of the two of us with my mm-hmm. reviews. Um Still, still am, but I think you're starting to realize that's just because I'm Canadian. I'm actually as vicious as you. It just doesn't come out in the language. I'm Canadian oh, yeah. now too, dang it. <laughs> yeah, can, uh, you know, um, I, I had a conversation with someone about this recently that like Canadians um, will all be very nice to you and will you'll be like, oh, they're just so, so nice and sweet. But um, our, our um, niceness is... is uh, is is a shield with which we uh, hide <laughs> our our true emotions, and uh, so if you ever want to see like two um, people being being really really uh, passive aggressively uh, mean to each other, get like two Canadians trying to like over nice each other, like no no no, allow me, you know. And, uh, um, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, subtext that uh, um, I think it's really close actually to Minnesota nice like you get the you get that that's kind of the same thing yeah um, with yeah, the layer yeah, just with being, the layer of snark underneath yeah 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 being yeah. you know being uh, um, uh, nice uh, does not mean you're kind <laughs> yeah yeah so but uh, so but but yeah so so. And this is very true, <laughs> but the the plot wheel that they're trying to move, which is angering us both, is at the beginning of the series they bring over a character who's ostensibly a Lex Luthor from another, like a parallel Earth, mm-hmm. and he comes from a parallel Earth in which Superman has gone full bad. And has joined a bunch of Kryptonians in subjugating the human race. So you're coming into this episode going, well, it's a cliffhanger. They'll obviously resolve it properly. But really, this is a that moment is a payoff for that character's constant warnings that Superman is mm-hmm. a menace and he's going to murder everyone. Mm-hmm. And the back half of the of the season looks to be dealing or the back third rather looks to be dealing with how are we going to get Superman back before he does too much carnage. Um, And I think that's why it's irking us so much because I mean, Neil brings this up all the time and hopefully you can speak to this is you can't point at the character motivations and go, well, they had no choice because a writer made that choice, right? And in this particular case, writers made the choice to put him in that dilemma to pay off that particular plot wheel. And given that context, it doesn't really 
work for this particular version of Superman and the characters as they presented them to us. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, the writers obviously make the choice. Um, what it should seem like is that it is, uh, that there's, it's, you know, it should be surprising, but also be, you know, go with character. So it shouldn't seem like it, uh, the writers are, are forcing anything along, but, um, right. So, you, so, okay. So, so you're saying that it, uh, even Superman's, uh, it feels to you that Superman's, uh, motivations aren't, aren't consistent or his character is not consistent. Yeah. Like it feels like they've put him in this situation and really amped up edges, um, more, uh, cartoonish villainy in order mm -hmm. to push this plot of this is how Superman would go bad and destroy the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, I hear you. Um, and, and on, I'm, I'm, you know, on a, a comic book series right now. And there's always the, there's, you, you, especially when you're coming from the basis of a comic book, there's, there's, there's always the temptation to go arch and it's like so easy to, to, to go there. And sometimes you kind of have to inevitably do that, but it's a, but I can understand your, your, uh, frustration with it. Um, yeah, I mean, Maybe maybe this will help. Maybe this will help. Let's take a step back because I know you wanted to mm -hmm. touch on uh, on our previous discussions of Game of Thrones and uh, oh, yeah, audience, yeah, yeah. Ex <laughs> audience expectations uh, versus uh, versus kind of the story that's being told. Um, yeah. And there, um, well, before you, before you do that though, there, there's there's one thing that I I, I did want to mention about. Um, are we going to loop back to to we're gonna loop, Lois? Or? We're going we're going to loop back. I'm I'm bringing okay. Game of Thrones up as a way to segue into that okay. conversation, but also okay, because cool. there's a there's a solid parallel, and we've talked about okay, it on cool. the podcast a couple of times. Yeah. Um, but there's a solid parallel to this where Game of Thrones did earn a turn of a character in a way that this one didn't. Um, mm -hmm. that kind of highlights the problems we're having with both Superman's characterizations, really all the characters on the show and how they're just sort of buffeted around by plot. People complained in the last season that Daenerys turned evil, um, mm -hmm. that it was like a light switch moment that, mm -hmm. uh, was completely unearned and underwrote all the strong female characterization that the show had been building for seven seasons prior and mm -hmm. how dare you do this? I named my daughter Khaleesi. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> but the first time we meet Daenerys Targaryen way back in like episode one or episode two, she has this monologue about how one day she's going to drown in rivers of her enemy's blood and everybody's going to like, you know, get down on one knee before her and her brother. And they're the rightful like she's, she's talking to uh, Jorah Mormont about it. Mm -hmm. And she has this like rant about how all of this is going to happen when she takes over is it Karth where they nail where they crucify all the slavers um or marine I, can't remember. I think so it's either um, marine or Karth but like they free the slaves and then crucify 
one slaver per mile for like hundreds and hundreds of miles. Like at no point do they give us any indication that this character is a wholesome together person. No, no, she, 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 yeah. Like she, she, um, had her brother, her brother killed with, uh, I mean, she didn't do it, but she basically had it, done with with yeah. like molten gold right like on his, <laughs> yeah. on his head and 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 uh yeah she's not she was not shy to um murder and 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 uh you know uh dominating people yeah so it, right. I, it, I did not feel like i did not have the same issue with that other people did with the with that right and neither did i and thoroughly enjoyed pointing that out on twitter in the days immediately after that episode aired because it was consistent it was completely consistent when things didn't Mm -hmm. go the way that everybody wanted them to go she acted the way that she acts right like that's all we got yeah Yeah, just because sorry sorry go on no no go ahead i was just saying just because um like people were angry because she acted in a way that they didn't want her to. Yes, but it, but it was still it was still true to her character. Yes, and and um, and I think that you know a character's a character's especially the final the end of a series their you know their actions as I said before it should be. It should be surprising, but also in line with their character. And everything that she did was in line with their character. The only issue that I had with the last season was um, that I felt like it should have been two seasons, and they kind of just they they were rushing. Like there was one the like there was some time jumps where it's like like in one episode they go from like north of the wall down south of the wall, back north of the wall, as if they're, like, as if they're, like, <laughs> they taking, t- like, like an aero- Yeah, like, yeah, it's like, this is, we're talking about, like, you know, thousands upon thousands of miles, like, like, this is, they're not right next to each other. So that was my issue, and that was clearly from, we've got to condense this into more time, but the actual, the actual storylines, the actual um Yeah, it was, it was fine. It was- I thought, yeah. Um, my big, my big beef, honestly, with the last episode in particular, just before we loop back to Superman and Lois, was that whoever wrote the line of dialogue, Bran, it's always been you, you've had the most interesting story, needs an award for hubris, because to take the character with the most objectively boring story for a full 50% of the series, and have somebody else point to them and say that, is just pure balls like that's trolling the audience in in a way i don't think i've ever seen in a show before because he was like the passive observer to his own story for like four years out of eight okay can you give me more context for that for that uh so so they're so they're oh, oh, you're, you're talking about for 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 brand for brand well i i mean i um yeah, I uh, again, I would, I don't know, I would, I would disagree with that because I mean, have you read the books for? Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Okay, I mean, I, I, I mean, his, 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 um, his story is more, you know, 
uh, it's not quite as action packed because he can't walk uh, <laughs> at certain parts, but uh, he's being carried around. But he is the most important character in Game of Thrones, like and 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 he is the most powerful at the end. Yeah. So I mean, I I while I would agree that he's not nece- necessarily, you know. You know, I was uh, I like Tyrion myself, uh, and yes. and, uh, um, and Brands, you know, was kind of he did seem like kind of a an outside character for a lot of it, and then he became and also remember he started off the whole thing, you know, with falling off of the tower. Sure, and, um, and <laughs> so, but off. but uh, <laughs> but 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 yeah, no, I don't know. I, I with that statement, I I think I I. Would agree with it with them, oh. not with you. <laughs> I, I, who speaks I, the line? I forgot who speaks the line. Um, I honestly can't remember. I'll have to go and watch it. I because think it might matters. actually. I think it might actually be Tyrion. If it were Tyrion, well, so there's two aspects of that, right? Because Tyrion could be being facetious. <laughs> or he could be playing the Game of Thrones. That actually has right. enough su- sufficient ambigu- ambiguity that 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 you could you could actually yeah. forgive it. Yeah. I suppose it's 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 completely made up for for me. By the way, by the fact that when Tyrion suggests democracy, Sansa leads the rest of the group in laughing at the idea as if it's the most preposterous thing they've ever heard. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That that was probably my favorite moment in the whole show. But anyway, I I bring up Danny. And and people's expectations as they're hit with the reality of her character in contrast to what we're getting in this show, because one, there's absolutely no way this version of Superman as established in this show makes the decision that he makes none whatsoever. Like he he would choose unless unless I'm right and they're sort of leaning into a. He's submitting because he has a plan to get out of it somehow. Um, there's no scenario in which he goes with Edge in that moment. Like just not. Okay, so based so on okay, so so let's let's go along with that. So let's pretend that we're in the writer's room and we have to figure out what his reaction would be. So, Julian, what's your pitch? <laughs> well, my what pitch is my my pitch is is that they do not do that dilemma that they don't do that story like fundamentally first causes having so i don't know how much superman lore you know but morgan edge has never been a kryptonian morgan edge is like a donald trumpian style business tycoon slash villain okay and that's how they introduced him for the beginning so you didn't know that he was kryptonian until correct Until until two episodes ago yeah Got it. Okay. Okay. Um, so there's so there's that piece where they've taken an established character and they've turned him into a arch nemesis level character rather than a mm-hmm. street level annoyance, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but they started the series, the season off, introducing a character who, again, was purportedly a Lex Luthor from an alternate Earth and turned out to be a different character from an alternate Earth. Um, and that twist was interesting and good and, and fantastic, and we loved it. Um, but he wasn't like a world-ending threat. He was just a potentially Superman-ending threat. 
And okay. he had interesting and complex motivations and they didn't need to wrap his arc up in one season. They could have played the the long game that they were playing with the family dynamic stuff on the farm in Smallville, which was interesting and quality TV and well-reviewed and people loved it and had that threat, which is a directly personal threat to Superman and that way of life as the core story for the season and introduced the edge stuff as the peripheral to be a longer part of a five season arc. Okay. Right. To so me, you're, that's you're kind of lamenting, you're lamenting the loss of what you viewed as an interesting character and, and being turned into something completely different. Exactly. And, and the haste with which it was done and how unnecessary it all felt. With, right. With, like, <clears throat> Well, I don't. I don't actually care if they di- make the turn to Nya villain uh, myself. I think that the more the more lamentable thing is that the conflict that was presented is it, it doesn't fit with the Superman that has been provided so far. So, in 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 you know, like with your question, I would make the stakes match the stakes. So, um, it would have to be a situation where Superman allying with Edge in some situation in some way would have to justify that less lives would be lost or a more Superman-y behavior would occur were he to ally with Edge or become Edge's pawn. For instance, uh, a good example would be, like, if you don't ally with me, the entire world will be destroyed. If you do ally with me, a pocket of humanity will survive. That's a bad example. That would have been, ex- that that? been acceptable. For you, well, it, for you, no. if uh, if it no, okay. Well, but it depends, because see, that's the thing. I'm trying to look into it in terms of the in terms of what the writing room has decided must has it must be accomplished, right? So there's two different mm. two different ways to look at it, because I know how these things work, and in in terms of like sometimes they're like these are the beats that you must hit when they hand it off to the freelancer, right? So I put myself in the position of where I have sympathy for the freelancer or whoever's coming out of the writing room having to write that because they have to get from A to B. And sometimes the only way is that clunky way, by my understanding. And you probably have more insider knowledge. So if I'm full of beans, just tell me. But my 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 because I can't throw that if I'm the writer, I can't throw that whole scenario out. The end of the story is that Superman is allied with Edge. So. You present, there's this clear dramatic choice that he has to make where his family is threatened, and most people will buy that, right? Like, I'm, I'm sure that the, the, the vast majority of the audience is going to go, oh, yeah, they threatened his family. If I were in that situation, mm-hmm. I wouldn't do, I, I, I would ally with, Edge, ally with Edge too because I have to save my family, and that's all the more they're thinking about it. But I'm trying to think of it in terms of, like, uh, from, from the perspective of crafting a story and whether or not that follows for that character. And for me, it doesn't. So anything that that would make Superman ally with Edge would have to have some kind of silver lining. Arguably, it could be that, like Julian was saying, he has a plan, right? But Mm -hmm. if he has a plan and the audience doesn't know about it, all we have to look at to, to assess is that Superman has decided to go along with the homicidal villain and they make a huge point of like several times hammering the beat that this is not fake. They go with, like, mm-hmm. the, I've considered what Edge said and I was right, and he disappears, right? And the whole, like, mm-hmm. this is the only option I have, and Lois picking up the phone and being like, John, everything you said has come to pass, you know? And mm-hmm. it's very hammered. It's not, it's not, mm-hmm. the button is not pushed. Yeah, this it's is like, hammered. this is like, John Snow is dead, 
right? right. Like he's very yes. dead. He is yes. definitely, definitely yeah. 100% dead. Right. And, and I know that. Yeah. So that's a pretty yeah. good sign that that's not the case in the sure. case of Jon Snow. So they're yeah. doing that for to up the stakes and to get people excited about what could possibly happen. And I, I would assume, and uh, because it, you know, it's something that uh, TV shows do. Um, and so, I mean, but like, so, okay. So, you, you, but like if they give away the ghost too early, if they, if they make it, if they like, so what they want to do, ideally what they're going to do, is plant seeds that when we go back to watch will will end up showing that you know well if this is where they're going that that superman is not siding with him and and in fact was probably going along with it to avoid a bigger catastrophe like you were saying um but you know you can't you can't spell it out too much uh ahead of time um but so I mean, yeah. So so your but so your frustration is that is that it seems like he's just behaving in a way that he wouldn't behave normally, well, and that yeah. that you, you would want to see more obvious uh, indication that he is not going along with his plan. I suppose I suppose it would be like if in the in the tenth episode of Game of Thrones. Um, Oh, God, what's Sean Bean's character name? Ned Stark. Yeah, okay, so it'd be like this. It'd be like if um, if Ned Stark survived to the 10th episode, and then mm-hmm. um, and then Cersei Lannister came up to him and said, if you don't play the Game of Thrones, you die. And then he whipped around and cut off his, head's, his son's head with a sword, like, yep, I guess she's right. You know? Like, I can understand that that's upping the stakes, and it's a big dramatic thing, but... Um, like we spent we spent ten episodes now, and and you don't have the benefit of seeing these, um, but well, or you know, benefit, but but you don't have you don't have the knowledge of having seen them. So it's it, mm. it, but we've had ten episodes where it's very made abundantly clear that 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 Clark sees like the the terrible consequences of um of what Edge is and what can be what he can be. And the last episode, mm. they made a huge point of um him actively refuting that, you know, and being like, you know, there's no way that this makes any logical sense, I suppose. And it's not as light well, switch on. as the scenario I just described, but. And, and it's not a, it's not a, so, but what you're describing, so you're saying that Superman can see what edge, the danger that he is. So, um, so, I mean, that could also be a key to unlocking what's going to happen later so that he if he if he has foresight into what he thinks thinks Edge is going to do, mm-hmm. right? Then then him going along with him is makes more sense, right? That he that he Superman is not necessarily now. This is just you know, again, I have no idea. But uh, uh, Superman is potentially not being manipulated, but manipulating, but just going Perhaps. along with with right. So yep. that's the ideal. Yeah, situation, and, and that's well. See, that's the problem. Like coming from the reviewing side of things, this is the difficulty that we face because um, watching the show so far, the first four or five episodes are very consistent. That if someone is behaving in a way that seems out of character, it's for a payoff, right? Like it's it's consistently written. It makes sense in that respect. But since about episode five, six, seven, eight, as obviously either production got more rushed or as they decided to lean more into the arch. 
Um, it's become a situation where a character will be purportedly one thing in one episode and then turn on a dime and then the next episode they will establish their old character. Um, there's a lot of a lot of plot dumb going on that wasn't present early on. So mm-hmm. while I concede that you're probably 100% correct that that's absolutely what they could be seeding and maybe that's actually what they're going to do, um, the, the the awkward position that I'm in is the show has created this situation where things happen that don't follow and then are just glossed over or forgotten. So mm-hmm. the audience expectation is a little bit usurped in that respect. And, and that's more what I'm and criticizing. there's going back to, uh, to the scenario that Neil kind of posited in response to the, you know, what would your pitch be? where there has to be some sort of silver lining. Like if you're writing that scene and you want it to be compelling, you want me to believe that Superman is actually going to take this deal that like billions will die or your family and your family will live, or you can try and protect your family, but we're probably still going to kill billions and your family. Like that's, that's a zero sum game for Superman. So in order for, that choice to be believable there has to be some sort of quid pro quo offered by edge to make you believe that superman would risk being put in his control but i don't i don't sorry i didn't and 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 more importantly if it is part of a plan why show us like so and i'm and i'm gonna pick on jupiter's legacy again for a second (laughs) Um, but, but my big critique at the end was that the twist wasn't like, if the audience can't see that the twist is coming, Mm -hmm. it's not really an earned twist, right? Like, I'm not saying it needs to be predictable, but if the audience is given every expectation that said twist is not coming, or there's, Mm -hmm. there's no way I can go back and read into it and go, Aha, this is obviously what's going to happen on a rewatch after after seeing that beat, then the mm-hmm. twist wasn't earned. It's just the writer's room tricking the audience. And those are two different mm-hmm. things, right? It's Well Yeah. Well, I mean okay. <laughs> not to bring it to Jupiter's legacy, uh, but uh I mean <laughs> and we 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 uh we've discussed this before, but uh I you know don't think that it was unearned that particular twist i thought that it that it, that um walter's uh deviousness was seated but i i hear your concern generally about about um about seeding things and 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 paying way 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 better last personal example trevor the twist in the village <laughs> Hold on, let me let me pause you up here. Or, uh, M Night Shyamalan, yeah, that's those are those are very twisty movies. No, um, but like, step in though. The, I'm gonna I want to step in here and defend Jupiter's legacy because I don't want to put Trevor in the awkward position of making a public <laughs> statement about this show that he's worked on. Okay, that's thing one. I will defend okay. it because. Because uh, there are there are elements about the last someone's, episode. Someone's standing up for us. Well, sure, yeah, <laughs> right. Okay, so there there are epi- there are elements of the last episode that I could critique if I wanted to, but I certainly will not. Uh, not <laughs> with, with Trevor right here. But in terms of like that being the the seat of his villain, I think it was seated. I think that uh, also the, uh, the 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 twist for me. Was that it? That it was that that was without being too spoilery. Was that that was the villain, 
and not necessarily the villain that was set up and kind of telegraphed a little bit, which I thought was right. artful. Um, I thought that was artful, actually. Um, I think that also mm -hmm. in this case, so this is the reverse of the Superman and Lois problem, okay? In Superman and Lois, we have Superman suddenly, like, trusted to know what he's doing when he becomes Edge's thrall, right? And then we have this situation where a clear good guy is set up to be a villain that can then be paid off in the next season. And mm -hmm. that has been, that is something that the story has established the trust that the creators will do. So that to me is, it's different, but I understand what you're getting at. Like it's, it's, if you are, if you don't see the seed, if, if it doesn't track for you as the audience, I can see your frustration, Julian. But I would say that, that I think it's there. And I'll I'll defend that for Trevor, uh, because I do think it's I do think it is seated. Uh, I don't. Okay, okay, I, okay so let's so, so let's on, let's on, pick. on behalf of the crew of Jupiter's Legacy. <laughs> I'll expect my check or my place in the writing's room next. Week. <laughs> um, so nobody's so ever let's, going let's, to hire me for this this show. But. Let's let's pick on Shia Mullen for a second then, because okay, if if I go and watch Sixth Sense, for example, sure. right. Mm -hmm. That, that ending, that ending was superseded. If I watch mm -hmm. Unbreakable, that ending was superseded. When I rewatched that movie on subsequent trips, Samuel L. Jackson is obviously the villain. Um, sorry for a spoiler for a movie that's what twenty five years old now. Yeah. Also, also Darth Vader is Luke's dad. Um, <laughs> but I get to the village. And I have absolutely no reason to expect that quote-unquote twist. It doesn't matter how many times I rewatch it, until the last, like, 20 minutes of that movie, there is no reason for me to expect that anything is other than what it's being presented. And I've got that issue, if they turn around and this was an on-purpose plot by Superman to undermine Edge, I have that issue here... Because he sells to his family so incredibly hard at risk of emotional damage to his wife and his children, one of whom suffers from crippling anxiety, that he is legitimately going and doing this awful thing. Here's, here's the shift problem, though. Here's, here's exactly what we're talking about. You have the subtle seed and you have the hammer on the head seed. And what what they're trying to do is waffle between both. You had like so I, I I see that there is no seed laid in the village. I understand what you're talking about, but when you come to like there's the Jupiter's legacy seed, which is very <laughs> subtle. No, it's subtle. It's there, okay, but it's okay. subtle. You kind of like you almost have to like it trusts the audience, which is an incredibly good principle for storytelling, in my opinion. A lot of people want it telegraphed, but I like it mm -hmm. when you make the audience do the work myself. And then you have and Superman. That's, and, and that's Lois. also sorry, uh, sorry yeah, to uh, yeah. interrupt. That's also that's also something that the writers and the network or uh, is is usually. At odds about too is yes. that telegraphing. Um, That's the aspects. sense I'm getting. The sense that I'm getting is that like they wanted to, to go subtler, and the show had a history of going subtler when it started. Superman and Lois, not Jupiter's Legacy. Like it started out mm. with that subtle, slow burn that trusted the audience, and then now they're getting to the point of where things are happening, and they're like, "You have to hit that hammer for the dumbest member of the audience," and it makes mm -hmm. it, it. It feels kind of. 
see the, my instinctive sense of storytelling from 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 my entire life of telling stories is that you need to even trust the dumbest member of the audience and if they don't get it they're going to come back and figure it out or if they don't mm -hmm. that's on them not necessarily the craft that's just my hot mm -hmm. take on it I, I also think I, th I think that um, generally uh, generally audiences appreciate not being this is just you know my view that that audiences appreciate not being talked down to that they appreciate uh being allowed to figure things out and connect the dots like um you know one of my favorite uh shows recently um is uh is Watchmen and that show did not spell out anything you like <laughs> really had to to you had to work to uh, like to you know to figure it out, but it was very rewarding and 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 very unusual for TV nowadays. Usually, they're they're trying to you know hand feed you everything, and I think that's where um, that's where a lot of the without talking about specific shows because I don't want to specify, <laughs> but uh, that's where I think a lot of um, conflict comes from between the writer's room and the network is that is that there is always that dance and um and you know uh every everyone you know wants to make the best show possible right like no one is no one is trying to make something bad but uh everyone has a different view of how you can get there and and there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen and then once you um yeah so so you you do have to do a a sort of dance and um uh you know sometimes like you know not not specifying uh superman and lois or or even any show that i've worked on but but just in general you know i think a lot of the problems with any show um in terms of if it if it has trouble finding viewers or 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 satisfying the viewers comes from um comes from that dance and and i think personally i think it's usually when the uh i think the i think the writers you know and this i'm seeing this as a writer right that uh should generally be able to to have more control over the story to and but you do you have a lot of you have networks studios um uh producers like there's you know there's all kinds of reasons that that stuff ends up you know uh getting getting changed into something that that wasn't necessarily ideal or necessarily the the um even the initial choice of the writers, but um, yeah, that was just a long-winded way of, of saying I don't like <laughs> network notes. But but um, <laughs> yeah, it's a very long point. I've noticed I've noticed that like like you the 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 best laid plans tend to be kind of undermined by um, you know like like an apocryphal story. I always tell is I knew this guy who pitched for the Green Lantern movie, and they loved his script. They were like, "This is a great script. Can you do it without the rings?" 
you know? And, <laughs> yeah. and it's like, that seems to be what happens. It's like you have writers who have their pedigrees and have all this talent. And what happens is like, there are a lot of cooks and things get shifted and it, I don't know, but see, that's the problem. And that's one of the reasons we wanted to, to yak at you is because, you know, it's, it's very hard from the outside because there's no transparency. There's no way to talk to folks and say, is this what's happening? Because that'll lose people their jobs. There's no way to say, what is the process? There's no way to get insight for the average viewer who's trying to maybe forgive things like what happened at the end of that episode, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I like, you know, this, but this is not even to say that like, you know, network notes and studio notes are not are not bad. Like they can be very helpful, and they. Um, I think it's just. Uh, I think just the, you know, the the writers need to be able to have. They need to understand um, where it's going and have and and be on board with what they're putting on the screen. In the same way that an actor, you know, people sometimes people I find that. Uh, directors and writers can get frustrated with actors asking so many questions about their, um, about their character, but the, I don't, I always see it as a positive because the actor needs to portray it on screen. So if they don't understand what they're doing, they can't possibly do that. And I think this, I think it applies the same way to notes. Like whenever you get network notes in my uh, observing, uh, the process, you have to kind of look for the note beneath the note. You don't do you don't do exactly what they're saying because usually what they're saying is they're pointing at a problem, but you have to figure out what the problem is. Anyway, so this is kind of uh, I'm going off on a tangent, but um, um no, I want to I want to touch on something that you said in there um, because you we can we when we look at this show the frustration that we're feeling is that the writer's room is obviously intensely talented. Um, there is early on in the season, um, the younger son, Jordan, who's just developed powers mm. wants to go out for the football team. And Superman has mined that story in the comics and on other shows probably a dozen times over the years. Um, and it always plays out the same way. It plays out like Dash's story in The Incredibles, where he gets the, well, you know, you can't because you've got this unfair advantage. And what if somebody gets hurt and right. et cetera, et cetera. And this show was smart enough to not do that. And they actually had Clark put Jordan on the team and go out and volunteer as an assistant coach so he could make sure nothing bad happened. And... Mm -hmm. Ultimately, they, I mean, the, that arc ended in a disappointing way because it ended as part of all the, we have to wrap up this early stuff so we can get to the plot, but it, it didn't play into the expectations that the audience had from seeing that beat prior. The writer's room was smart enough to do something new with it and use it as a vehicle to explore Jordan overcoming his social anxiety and what that dynamic looks like when you're at a new school and <clears throat> what happens if you discover that you've got a talent for something that places you in rarefied territory. Like the writing was really, really, really tight and sharp and well done. Mm -hmm. And then it turned into a, like not even quality comic book shows because we've gotten those. We've gotten the Umbrella Academy and we've gotten Lock and Key and we've gotten Watchmen uh, and we've gotten Jupiter's Legacy. Um, Thank you. 
You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> um, but or the boys or uh, Invincible, which were my two favorites of the last couple of years. Um, not even that level of superhero show, but just cheesy early years of Arrow or middle years of Smallville Drek. And what we're trying to figure out is how a writer's room that has that talent, we've gone back and checked. They haven't like recycled the writers. There's, you know, there's some change outs, but it seems to be mostly the same crew credited on each episode. Um, How it goes from that to this in 11 episodes. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I, I am, again, I haven't seen those and so I can't, but, but I mean, I would guess that the writers would probably disagree that it's drag. <laughs> like, like I don't think anyone's. I don't think anyone's yeah. setting out to do that ever. And if they if they're making choices that, you know, like the the writers' room, they're, you know, when 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 ideas are are like going through the writers' room, they're like they're like stress tested. They're they're like everyone in the room. Um, in my experience of seeing rooms, like everyone is, is kind of has to buy in on it. And, uh, certainly the showrunner, but like everyone, even underneath them, like, you know, like pitches get brought up and if people don't take to it, then that gets thrown aside. And, uh, so, you know, all, everything that you're seeing has gone through that, that process of like, everyone's like trying to come up with the best possible ideas and the best twists and, and this and that. So, you know, I don't think that they're aiming to, um, uh, you know, create something that's not consistent. Um, I think I think that that it's probably uh, just a a matter of taste at a certain point. That like that you know, like if you were writing on the show, that you would make different choices and. Uh, um, you know, I guess that's a vague kind of answer, but I'm just, I'm just thinking of like, like, you know, yeah, most of the time, like, like that, that, um, uh, you know, the, the, these episodes aren't made in a vacuum. They're, they're, there's, there's a whole lot of writers and then a, a whole lot of rewriting and then trying to fit all these things in. So, so, um, yeah, like they, they, they. I, I, I don't know that 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 I can explain why you feel there are. Sounds like you feel like there are two different tones. Well, uh, I think that, I, here's that, here's. I, I think that these writers and and I I repeatedly emphasize this because it's important to say. I don't think that they have any malice or that they're trying to tank the show or that they're not doing everything they can. <laughs> they're to make the definitely best not they trying have. to do that. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, everyone yeah, wants to, to be, make the best show. Well, and that's the thing that that often internet commentators um, can can get into. It's like, oh, they're clearly hacks. I don't think that at all. And no, I these are repeatedly all, emphasize all, this. If they're but, if they're writing on this show, they're yes. super talented. Well, people. yes, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, like you know, the one out of a hundred of a one out of a hundred of a one out of a hundred of persons who gets fortunate enough to be in that position has to know what they're doing. Um, which is one of the reasons why some of the choices that that tend to ring so weirdly, um, why why I'm so baffled by them. But it occurs to me as you're saying this, uh, based on the insight that you're kind of providing, that perhaps it was my failure to see a thing that perhaps what they're perhaps they are trying to do a thing, 
like go from a super, super grounded beginning that is very mm -hmm. subtle and evolve mm -hmm. it into one of these kind of CW shows, which is their brand. And I think mm -hmm. that maybe what I may have missed is in the middle, they didn't have enough catalyst. Maybe it wasn't smoothed enough, but probably, you know, like it could, they, they probably needed some connective tissue that was missing, mm -hmm. but maybe they're just now one of these shows that, that does go by that melodrama. It, it has changed what it is as kind of a slow arc, which I'll have to think mm -hmm. about and examine, but that makes sense because see part of part of my assumption which is why I'm glad that you cleared it up was the idea that it was kind of handed off more and that it wasn't like I've seen episodes of say uh, better call Saul broken down where there's five or six writers in the room all actively going after each thing my understanding from long ago because I was almost invited to the Smallville writing room um, and then I got booted out because I write reviews you know like go figure they wouldn't like someone who criticizes them. But, um, but one of the things that I was led to understand was that um, the plots are broken in beats and then it's handed off to the freelancer. The freelancer does it and then come back, comes back and it gets passes and passes and passes and passes. But this was 2002, 2003. It might have be evolved to become more active now, but it seemed like uh, it, it depended on the show too. Like some of them, like a, a, a Smallville kind of show versus say a Superman and Lois kind of show, um, Smallville episodes would be more one and done, far more serial, and now we're past the age of peak TV where everything has to relate, so of course it's probably shifted, so everybody is involved in every decision that leads from one show to the other, and that's a matter of perspective that I may have failed at, but that's one of the reasons why I wanted to pick your brain, and that's very helpful, and I thank you for that. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know if that is exactly the case. It's just my, that's my guess is from what I've seen, um, but it's, it, it, um, but yeah, like, it, 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 I mean, it may be that, that it could have benefited with some other connective tissue, as you're saying, like, you know, this is always like the struggle also with making TV is you only have a certain amount of episodes you have to get from here to there. Um, and you have, a, you know, there's a time element as well. There's a money element. Uh, so, you know, how do you do that in the most organic way? And, and you know, sometimes it means that you can't show everything that you want to show because of budget, because of time and whatever. Um, and so, you know, maybe the show would benefit by, you know, having a few extra episodes, but they, but they, but they can't for whatever reason. Right. So that's also, that's also uh, a factor. Which, which and, might, sorry, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, no, I was just going to say, and, um, you know, there's also there's also rewriting that happens, uh, you know, later on after the writing room's done. But but um, you know, so I don't know what happened then either. But but I just as a, a as a you know, just in terms of of writing and producing, and also this is like, I'm assuming these are group of people that were were these the people that were making the other shows or um, well the. The first two were written by one gentleman. Um, the second two, I believe, were written by another gentleman, and then the rest have been, uh, as I as I understand it, uh, written by individual writers so far. Right? Does that sound right? Yeah, That's and they all... and they don't. Yeah, and they don't seem to have any connective tissue to the other CW series yet, aside from mm -hmm. the fact that this particular version of Superman 
was introduced in the other CW series. But Mm -hmm, from mm -hmm. a tonal perspective, from a visual perspective, and from a writer's room perspective, it seems like they're cocooned off somewhere. Now, I will will say, um, and this has nothing to do with quality or, 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 or anything, but when we're talking about, like, you know, you know, uh, money and time. One of the ways that you can save money and time is so traditionally, well, you can either do like a bottle episode or you can do a clip show. And this is kind of like, this episode is kind of a half a clip show, right? Because he had a lot of the stuff from the pilot. So it was, it perfectly made sense in it. Like, and it was, and it was useful. And so I didn't have a, I don't have a problem with it at all. But uh, but it's you, you, but it it's interesting to think about that like this episode probably was cheaper than or not um, not necessarily cheaper than other episodes because I don't know they might have had a VFX budget that bloated it but um, but that it it made the episode more affordable and less time consuming because there was less they had to shoot they only had to shoot like a half hour essentially um, and then you already had all that other stuff that you could automatically cut in so so that. That is generally, you know, you when you see that on TV, know that you know the line producer really likes those episodes because <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, uh, it saves them saves them money. In this case, they used it masterfully that that it made sense. It wasn't just a clip show. It like he was digging into his memories. Um, uh, but yeah, it was uh, a really cool. It was a really cool mechanism, and all of that followed for me. Like I, I liked that as a villain move and as a way to give us mm. more time in the early places of the show. I might just be a sucker for flashbacks. Like Lost <laughs> might have ruined me, and I just want to live in like the prequel era of every show that I'm watching. Um, but yeah, no, like I thought that was really artfully done. Mm-hmm. Okay, so before we uh, we cap this off, Trevor, you wanted to uh, to browbeat us a little bit over <laughs> over audience expectations versus uh versus the the story the writers are trying to tell oh um yeah well i remember that you guys were kind of talking about that with uh in terms of game of thrones and other stuff and so i found that interesting so i i i i um yeah i i was i was interested in discussing that if you guys want yeah do you want me to, do you, yeah. Do you want to go for it, or do you want me to kind of resummarize what me and Julian had said? What you, give me, give me a little bit of a, of a summary. You don't have to go huge into so, detail, but uh, well, start off the conversation. My basic thesis was that um, Game of Thrones did uh, like, if the thesis is that Game of Thrones succeeded because it usurped the audience's expectations, as in Sean Bean's mm-hmm. character gets their head cut off and you expect it to be the moral core, then there's nothing. Mm-hmm internally morally inconsistent about having Khaleesi then burn a city to the ground um, because mm-hmm. it because it, while you are expecting her to become the, the princess who rules the kingdom nor is there anything weird about say having a battle of Winterfell where you expect everyone to be slaughtered and said they succeed it's usurping expectations mm-hmm. yeah Julian what was yours yeah <laughs> I so I mean, not necessarily Game of Thrones in particular, but, like, I'll use Superman and Lois, and I'll use that football subplot as an example. When we watched that first episode where Jordan's going to go out for the football team, 
our expectation was that it was, go or my expectation, and you proved to be right in this case, was that they were going to do the beat of, oh, well, Jordan's going to go and somebody's going to get hurt. And it's going to be the the moral lesson about how to use your powers responsibility and lonely is the head that wears the crown and you just have to suck it up. Um, and we didn't get that. And I'm constantly pleasantly surprised when shows produce writing that does subvert my expectations that goes outside of the trope um although it seems to confuse the majority of the audience and they don't like it <laughs> um yeah well that's a, the a, and you know that kind of goes back to what we were talking about before about how you know people wanted uh Khaleesi to to do one thing they wanted it to end in uh, a certain way and um and it didn't and they were mad and so like you know people but but like you know I think I just think it's kind of I think it's kind of funny that the way that fandom uh can react like that and, and get so angry over these choices right because as we yeah. discussed like they are there are choices um but uh you know like if, if the if the show ends exactly like you think it is then that's going to be a bad show that's going to be a bad movie or, or book or like what's the point of reading something where you it things just happen like you want them to happen like the you know but what what is what is what is good is when things happen you know as we said like things happen in an unexpected way, but it, it, uh, seems inevitable when you look, when you look back. So that's what, that's the sweet spot. Um, but fandoms, uh, a lot of different fandoms, um, uh, when you get the toxic aspect is where they just, they want it. They feel such ownership over this thing and they, they have such expectations ab about what they want it to be that, they get just like violently, uh, not necessarily literally, but but uh, emotionally, <laughs> violently uh, um, upset at at when when things are different. But but I, I don't know. I don't know what like what what kind of shows are they satisfied with? Like like uh, I I would be curious. Well, the internet but, has become democratizing in a really unhealthy way on art production right and i mean neil and i spent four weeks while this this show is on hiatus talking about the most recent example of that which was the snyder cut of justice mm -hmm. league and why it even exists in the first place mm -hmm. um but i mean the first encounter i really had with how toxic the fandom can be was was with game of thrones commentary and it was way early in the show it was the audience reaction to the red wedding like people lost their minds and really? as yeah like the, the 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 red wedding is the is the the really surprising one right the uh where the the rob stark woman dies the pregnant woman dies yeah, yeah okay because like, there's a yeah. thing, there's a couple very bloody weddings but yeah yeah that uh yeah i know which one you're talking about yeah, yeah like at one point cancel game of thrones was trending for three weeks after but, yeah like but that's in the books yeah <laughs> there, there, there's there's so layers like, to the burrito though like you get you get these groups of fans like and and 
arguably, you know, like there's someone would not be wrong to point at us and being like, you're doing a commentary on Superman and Lois. Are you not part of the problem? And the way that we try and contextualize it is to acknowledge that we don't own the show, that these are not Mm -hmm. our characters, that we're just talking about the choices, and that if they choose Mm -hmm. to go another way, that's perfectly fine. And a lot of people don't want to take that step. And it's weird because it's it's multi-layered. Not only are there the people who think that they should be able to control Superman and Lois, um, as opposed to, I don't know, coming at it with analysis Mm -hmm. or critique... But they're the people who like will violently violently threaten probably me more than Julian because Julian's nice. But like they'll I've come at me. No threats. Yeah. Well, they they come at me because because I because I'm because you've I'm been, too harsh. You've been violently threatened. Not violently threatened for this one, but for Smallville. Uh, for this oh. one, I don't have a large enough audience. <laughs> but um, <laughs> you know, like that's fine because I'm doing it out of love for fun. But um, but like in the past, people have like found the name of like my editor's pastor and and oh created God. entire sites dedicated to how homosexual I am back when that was, you know, Whoa. more of a potential slur. And so like, so I can't imagine like just being a commentator, if I'm experiencing that, what the poor writers and creators must be having to go through in these situations and the sense of entitlement has not shrunk. It's grown. That's one of the reasons why like, um, it's difficult to do a thing like this because you always want to emphasize that it's really just jawing about a thing that you enjoy and that you're happy if other people enjoy it. But people mm. treat it like, you know, like you're either mm. <laughs> like, like you're Catholic or Protestant. And if you're not one or the other, they're going to come for you with swords. It's very mm. it's unfortunate. And it's the way that discourse has kind of changed, you know. Um, and it's mm-hmm. also probably the reason why there's less insight because there has to be a barrier or a wall between the production and the people outside why we, why we can't know what's happening and can't great, get greater insight or have nice things because anyone who mm-hmm. tries to get talked to is inevitably going to get preached at or treated like they're part of some problem that is, is imagined in the mind of the commentator. Um, so, so I'm very grateful that you had the courage to come on here and speak to us like this, even though it, well, no, there, there are potential well, it ramifications. Helps that it's, it helps that I have no connection to the <laughs> well, show yes, itself, but even, right, like, but, uh, sorry, what's it? Oh yeah, that's true. Well, yeah, but also it's like, it, it's any kind of statement makes you open and, and, and a target and, and it's, it's brave. Mm-hmm. So thank you. Well, well Trevor, travel's been very nice. He, he, Trevor should be a target for no one. He's been incredibly nice. He has. <laughs> yeah. Um. Actually, um, I have. Yeah. I have. Sorry. Go ahead, Trevor. Then I've got one question for you before we close this off, and I think it might do some, uh, some good towards, um, audience understanding of the process. But you, you give us what you're about to say, and then I'll ask my question. Um. Well, actually, actually, uh. No, why didn't you ask the question? I had I had okay. one other thing, but it would kind of bring us back to another area. So so you go ahead. Okay, so my understanding now, and it wasn't this way back when I was writing Smallville reviews, is that the credited writer on an episode is not necessarily responsible for the fullness of the story that you get there. Like, they might have done... Yeah a certain amount of direct work on that particular script more than any, than the others in the writing room, but they're not necessarily the writer of the episode, correct? Well, hold on. So, no, they're, they are officially the writer of the episode, right? That's why their name is on it. Yeah. Um, 
but uh, television is a is a group effort, and 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 um, even if a writer's name is on the episode, there are other people that are you know have a hand in that episode, right? So I, it, it depends on the situation, but like. Let's say you have a staff writer that is writing an episode. It's going to get rewritten by the showrunner. It's probably... And then if the showrunner is on set doing other stuff, it's going to get rewritten by the co-exec producer. And um, not just like, you know, A, it can get rewritten. You know, the writer gets a certain amount of passes. And then and then the showrunner and the higher-ups um, uh, take their passes. Because, you know, the the show has to pass through the showrunner to have like the same tone. Right. So, so the showrunner is typically going to end up rewriting all the scripts to a certain extent, just to, uh, uh, um, just to make sure it matches tone, some less than others, but some showrunners do quite a lot of rewriting. And, but then that writer will, the writer on the episode will still have their name on it. Um, so, you know, it, it really depends. Like it can, you, you can have situations where the writer on the, that's why I think it's kind of funny when they like have like, um, Emmys. And if, if there's only one writer on the episode, that writer is the only one that gets the Emmy. It's like, there's like the whole writing room was involved, like to some degree. And, 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 and that's why that's why I ask because that's what I understand to be the process is that like yeah there's there's the named writer that like writes that script but that the whole writing team is still involved in it and yeah and different was... different different level different amounts certainly the showrunner like uh, is almost always involved in some way even if just like you know and then also there's like there's changes that happen during production whereas like they wouldn't send it off to a freelance writer because the freelance writer is not on the show anymore. They're not contracted. They're doing something else. They have uh, co-exec producers, the showrunner, ex- other exec producers that will do rewrites. Um, and, you know, they can end up being big rewrites because, you know, for it's not necessarily a quality an issue with quality. It's just like stuff comes up like, oh, we actually can't afford this set we have to do this set and you have to change uh entire scenes so you know that comes up too so so yeah it's it's collaborative it's it's collaborative yeah yeah and and the reason i ask is because i probably owe one smallville writer in particular an apology uh genevieve sparling um because she was the only writer that I ever criticized by name in my reviews. And every time one of her episodes came up, I s- slammed it hard. And they were bad episodes, but I now understand that that was not entirely her fault. And should be noted, I thoroughly enjoyed the episodes of Suits that she was credited with later. So I know it wasn't her fault entirely. Um, and so Genevieve, if you're out there and you're listening and you've been holding a grudge, I apologize. And people, don't be mean to your writers. I think, I think, I think the key to remember is the both the good and the bad can come from and does come from multiple people because like even if if there's something you really like about the episode or don't like about it that passed whether or not it was written by an individual it passed through a lot of other people and and you know if they disagreed with it or if if it's in the case of the bad thing 
they could have changed it, right? Like they're there or, uh, and then a, a really brilliant thing can end up getting written by someone else and the writer gets credited for that too. So it, it's, it's, it goes both ways, but yeah, definitely. Um, you, you cannot, you cannot single out, um, a, a individual writer for, um, a specific line. <laughs> Fair. All right. And we're going to end this. I think it's fair to give Trevor a plug moment. What piece of work that you've been attached to individual episode uh, or even show do you think people need to go back and revisit because it didn't get the love that you thought it should have gotten the first time around? Something that that I've worked on or just something that I like? something, Something that you've worked on. Oh. Uh... Well, um, I, uh, I worked on, um, the first season of Dark Matter, uh, and I, and I, um, actually was, uh, uh, the showrunner, uh, Joe Malazzi was nice enough to make me a, uh, story editor for that season and gave me an episode, um, uh, episode number, uh, eight, and, uh, uh, I'm, uh, and unfortunately, Dark Matter ended up um, getting canceled after uh, a few seasons. But uh, it, it was a great show, and and uh, I think uh, I think it definitely deserves uh, people to um, to rediscover it and well, uh, and get back into it. And you know, maybe there's life for it uh, elsewhere in some other form. Perfect. All right. Well, listeners, it's summertime. There's a heat wave everywhere. Hide in your basements <laughs> in the cold and rewatch Dark Matter. Uh, Trevor, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us this week. I think next week, Neil, we're doing Superman 3. Superman or do we have another 3. Right. Superman 3, which I Quest watched. Quest for Flaming Penguins. <laughs> oh, you know, I it's it's an okay movie. I it, like, like it. I like watching it again. I found myself smiling more than I did in say Batman v Superman. Well, on, on that <laughs> note, I will say, I will say a, a great heaping. Thanks to you, Trevor, for, for, for coming on here and listen to us yammer and uh, putting up with our questions and answering them all artfully. I very much appreciate it. Oh, no problem. Uh, thank you for having me on. This was a, a very nice, uh, first, uh, podcast experience and, uh, and, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Right on. We hope to have you back. Yeah, absolutely. On that note, um, I'm Neil Bailey. There's Trevor and Julian Finn right there. You can't see them, but they're present. And uh, we have been Ampersand (laughs) and Sons. Goodbye, everybody. Well, hey there, all you super cat coes and kittens. I'm not going to ask you to like or subscribe or add us on Facebook or Twitter because, frankly, I just don't care. Julian might, but you'd have to ask him. I am, however, an independent writer of novels, comics, and reviews. I don't get paid for that, and I've been doing it steadily for 21 years. If you like what I do, and if you can, your support would mean a world of difference in my life. I have a website where you can find my books, neilbailey.com with an A in the Neil, N-E-A-L, not an I, and I have a Patreon where you can get exclusive early access to everything I do along with free copies of all my books and comics along with every new book and comic I make as they come out for the price of a coffee. Get yourself on over to www.patreon.com slash neilbailey and tell them Neil sent you. Thanks for listening.